three, two, one. Let's roll. Austin, how is it going? Oh, good. Very good. Very rainy, but good. <laughs> yeah, like there hasn't been enough of that going on, right? Yeah, you know, spring showers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's almost almost summer and we're still getting dumped on like it's April. Yeah, yeah. You got tornadoes and thunderstorms and sunshine and 80 degrees all in one day. Yeah, it, it was it like two days ago. It was like in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. No, it, right. it, it can't make a bit fine. <laughs> I know. And, and today it was supposed to be, what, 70, but it was probably, it felt like 80. Tomorrow it's supposed to be almost 90. It's supposed to be like 87 tomorrow. Jeez. Yeah, it's going to be certainly a day for yard work, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. And if nobody's ever been to the Chicago area, this is not out of the ordinary. We could literally have three or four seasons all in packed in one day. So, or in one day, several right. hours. <laughs> or several hours, one of the two. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't think I've been around where it's been winter and summer at once, but I'm sure as crazy as the weather is here, it's probably happened. Well, I mean, you got you got snow and Halloween. You got 90 degrees on Christmas. You never know. <laughs> yes. Now, my dad told me a story that I think it was 1982 or three. He was working on a dock somewhere and it was like Christmas Eve and he was wearing short sleeves because it was like in the seventies. So no, I believe sure it. Happened, you know? I believe it. <laughs> Crazy. So I'm sure a lot of people are probably wondering why are we having a show that's done? Yeah, usually Fridays we have our uploads and people have been asking, Hey, no show this week? What's going on? Uh, we actually were discussing this topic the other day. Uh, we're going to try a new schedule to come out with, you know, uploads. Got to see what days work better. So uh, always always check the uh, Facebook page, any new updates. We just wanted to kind of see um, how much more traffic we can get. Uh, the thing is, is that we were actually going to have the issue uploaded on for Saturday, but uh, Austin, you I don't know something about you were under the weather, right? Yeah, that Domino's. I'm telling you, man, food poisoning or something. <laughs> <laughs> Cheap pizza Ooh. gets you every time. <laughs> Go with Pizza Hut next time. <laughs> yeah, you make your rounds, Little Caesars. Don't forget Little Caesars. Yeah, Little Caesars. <laughs> so. We, we just want to apologize to our listeners. Uh, I did have a few of them ask me what was going on, and um, <clears throat> we were expecting to have the show out uh, for Saturday, but like Austin said, he was under the weather, so. A, a little but, minor roadblock, but, you know, the train don't stop. We're good. <laughs> yep, we're going to get it done. So um, we're going to continue our series on our general ship that we've been doing for the last few weeks. Uh, we are now in round number four. Yep. Almost to the end. The stretch. So, <laughs> the stretch. Um, so why don't you give a reminder kind of what we're doing here for anybody who's a new listener or just wants to kind of get a basis of what we're doing again. Yeah, so just to kind of break it down simply, we're compiling our top five who we believe to be the most supreme top-of-the-line, top-shelf generals throughout history. Um, American history. And American history, history, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we're just basing these off of, you know, we're not just, like, you know, picking out of a hat. We're just uh, – we have a criteria that we're following, which are uh, – we're, we're ranking them based on wisdom, integrity, compassion, and courage. 
pretty much the previous episode starting off at number one one is going to be like our bottom tier level level general so he's not like you know the top of the line he's not like the big bad you know bulldog of the of the group so number five is going to be and now that we're at number four we're getting pretty close to you know releasing the the hell dogs (laughs) yes we're at the top here and again historically speaking and anybody can have their own rankings uh of why certain generals are placed above others just for this series this is just our opinions if we are the president and we're able to pick these gentlemen from the past and put them in positions this is who we are picking so this isn't you know what historians or other people have opinions on this is just our opinions and we're having fun with it yeah yeah it is a lot of fun (laughs) So why don't you tell everybody uh, who your three are up to this point. I'll name my three, and then uh, I guess we'll uh, get into nitty-gritty. Yeah, so my first one for round one at the bottom tier was James Mattis. Um, My number two going up the line was George Washington. Uh, My number three, which would have been last week's, was – or the week prior, my mistake, uh, Stonewall Jackson. Okay. Uh, I started out with uh, John Pershing is my first one. Uh, my second one was George Patton. And then my third one was Tecumseh, William Tecumseh Sherman. Yeah, very, all, all worthy adversaries, I would say. <laughs> yes, I think, we, I, I don't think we're, you know, I, I, when I look at our rosters so far, I really don't see anything that kind of is questionable. I think that we're pretty much within the, the spectrum of real possibilities. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think, again, like we've discussed, that once this list is compiled and we get, you know, to our last one and we have all five of them and we really get to size them up, I think it's going to be interesting that people are going to be asking questions about why we decided to do the people we did and maybe cut out some other ones. I mean, I don't know about you, and I've said it previous. Yeah, this is hard. It is. I mean, and, and again, when I get to my pick here, um, I had not anticipated on this pick, but the more I did some homework, I I could not not pick this next one. Um, and I'm excited about it, but I think it's just interesting that there's so many, you know, great generals as countries produced that, you know, here we are. It's like you get to pick five and you, you, Kind of feel bad about why you're not picking these other guys. Yeah, it's hard. The placement's hard. Very hard. I, I think, like, once this is done and this list is all compiled, I mean, maybe we should sit there and be like, do like a reminisce episode and be like, here's the people I cut out and here's why. <laughs> worthy, worthy mentions. <laughs> the worthy mentions. The runner's up. Yeah, yeah. No, Maybe we I, get four here. He gets to be not worthy. Not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that though. You know, if I if I can speak freely for a minute while we're on mm-hmm. air, maybe we should do that. I think depending on viewer um interest, we should try to incorporate that and then maybe do like a like an open um what do you call it? like an open forum type of thing, you know, where people can ask questions about our particular rosters and we can just kind of do a whole special just going back and kind of reviewing and revising everything and kind of going over our thought process on why we chose the individual for the placement. That's a great idea. I like that. So um, listeners, we do have our Facebook page. Uh, you can find us at Night Normal History on Facebook. 
there's also an email address, uh, not your normal history at gmail.com. Uh, drop us a line, ask some questions, ask us why uh, we chose who we did, why not these other individuals? Because I know I'm already being asked these questions. And I'm <laughs> like, well, I've kind of been hesitant to just kind of forthcome of why I didn't um, in private conversations with people that I know that have been listening to the show and said, what about this guy? And it's like, you know, I built a criteria for myself and I, I really had to cut him up because of A, B, and C. So it's a great idea. I like that. Maybe that will be the um, episode. And maybe in a few weeks we can, we can have that free, uh, free conversation about, you know, who the runners up were. And then we can just say, hey, here's why we didn't bring him in. Yeah. No, I like that. I, that, that would be like a whole special. I like that. Would be good. Um, one thing I think we can make an announcement now, or should we make the announcement at the end of the show about some – particular that we're going to be doing here coming up in uh for the month of june well you know what the the the, the viewers are in enough suspense as it is i think we should just let them know now <laughs> okay so the conversation for the month of june is um we've really come up with this decision in the last week we are going to have another special coming up um right around the middle of the month about the 15th it's going to be a special on the Battle of Waterloo. Uh, we're going to have again. Uh, Joey will be joining us on this one, so this could be a special about the battle, Napoleon's Hundred Days, and what was really the end of the Napoleonic era. Was it Waterloo, or was it something that happened prior? So stay tuned on that. Um, the other thing we are probably going to take a two-week hiatus uh, by the end of June as we prep for July. Uh, we've made it pretty much known to ourselves that uh, this has been season two, kind of a learning curve, kind of new, trying new things. Um, season three, if everything kind of goes the way we want it, they sound like baseball is going to be coming around in July, so we're going to do some uh, baseball history for the month of July, as long as everything coincides with MLB. And we're just going to prep ourselves from that point on for the, the duration of the year. Yeah, no, I big, big plans. <laughs> yeah. So we're just going to kind of uh, build off this and feed off of what input we get from everybody. Uh, so we really want people to, you know, have some input things they'd like to see changed because we kind of want to embrace this in a, you know, a fashion where the listeners are input is being taken into consideration. Yeah. So those are the plans for the future. So stay tuned for those. Uh, I'm really excited about the, uh, the month of June, what we got working with the special coming up. Yeah. Like I said, big plans, just those have to wait and see. Yes. Yes. Um, so I think we should probably get into this unveiling for round four. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I believe I go first this time, right? You do. I'd say flip a coin, okay. but social distancing. <laughs> yeah, you can call Pritzner and ask him what he wants us to do. Oh, never mind. He's not in the state of Illinois right now. <laughs> uh, I should have put him on my list. <laughs> Don't worry, when we do the uh, list of tyrants, you can throw them on there. 
<laughs> numero uno <laughs> let's go <laughs> <laughs> all right so i um i think i'm ready to do this and again uh I, I had not anticipated making this pick but the more i did it the more i felt i had to so uh with my fourth pick which would be my second highest general i am going with winfield scott oh wow you know, I had anticipated going with Ulysses S. Grant in this spot. I was so determined to go with him. And believe me, there was no reason not to. But the more I looked at Scott's track record and what he did and went through, I had to put him here. And here we go. So, Scott was born near Petersburg, Virginia in 1786. He joined the Army in 1808 as a captain of the Light Artillery. He also fought in the War of 1812. He served on the Canadian Front, taking part in the Battle of Queenstown Heights and the Battle of Fort George. He was promoted to the rank of Brigadier General in early 1814. Scott led an artillery bombardment that supported an American crossing of the Niagara River, and he took command of American forces at Queenstown after Colonel Solomon Van Rensselaer was badly wounded. Shortly after Scott took command, a British column under Roger Hale Schief arrived. Uh, it was numerically superior forces compelled to the Americans to retreat, ultimately forcing Scott to surrender after reinforcements from the militia failed to materialize. Uh, they wouldn't really cross the river, so he was outnumbered. Um, after the conclusion of the war, Scott was assigned to command armed forces in a district containing much of northeastern United States, and he and his family made their home near New York City. During the 1830s, Scott negotiated an end to the Black Hawk War, which took place in northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin, just so you know, which is an always interesting tidbit. Not too far from here, in a forest preserve, there is two soldiers from Scott's detachment that came out here the Black Hawk War that supposedly died of uh, dysentery. They're buried in a forest preserve not five minutes from where you live. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Um, he also took part in the Second Seminole War and the Creek War of 1836. He also helped with the removal of the Cherokee. Scott also helped advert war with uh, Britain, turning tensions arising from the Patriot War and the R. Or stock uh, war. In 1817, he would marry Marie DeHart Mayo, and together they would have seven children. What is it with these people in the past? They have like five to 12 kids. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I don't their tax return was that great back then. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't think they pay taxes. Like, oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> More freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in 1841, Scott became the commanding general of the United States Army. After the outbreak of the Mexican-American War in 1846, Scott initially served as an administrator. But in 1847, he led a campaign against the Mexican capital of Mexico City. Uh, Scott was asked to draw up an invasion plan that would begin with a naval assault on the Gulf port of Veracruz. Anyone knows anything about Veracruz? They always seem to be the point of reference for everybody to invade Mexico. <laughs> And end with the capture of Mexico City itself. With Congress unwilling to establish the rank of lieutenant general for
support, Democratic Senator Thomas Hart Benton, Polk reluctantly turned to Scott to command the invasion. So that's how he was picked. Uh, here's an interesting tidbit. So most people may or may not know. Uh, the boys in the Civil War, Civil War reenacting community totally know about this stuff. Among those who joined the campaign were several officers who would later distinguish themselves in the American Civil War. This was include Major Joseph E. Johnston, Captain Robert E. Lee, and Lieutenants Ulysses S. Grant, George B. McClellan, George G. Meade, and P.G.T. Bogard. After capturing the port city of Veracruz, he defeated Mexican General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. Uh, that's the dude who was at the Alamo, by the way. Uh, he defeated the armies at Battle of Cerro Gordo and the Battle of Contreras. And another battle of Churro Busca. Busco. Sorry, I'm not good at Spanish. <laughs> okay. I got a D at it in high school. Hey, that counts for something. <laughs> it does. I passed, okay? <laughs> Captured Mexico City. He obtained order in the Mexican capital and indirectly helped envoy Nicholas Trieste negotiate the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which brought an end to the war. Uh, according to his bi biographer, John Eisenhower, the invasion of Mexico through Veracruz was, quote, up to that time, the most ambitious amphibious expedition in human history, unquote. So uh, up until D-Day, that was like the largest, you know, amphibious landing. Yeah. That was pretty interesting at the time with the technology they had to do that oh god yeah i got some point on this so his nickname was old fuss and feathers for his instance on proper military bearing courtesy appearance and discipline in 1835 this is why i found him a little bit more important when i made this pick scott wrote infantry tactics or rules of exercise and maneuver of the united states infantry a three-volume work that served as the standard drill manual of the United States Army until 1855. Hmm. Which actually would be uh, Casey's would take over after that. Oh, okay. Uh, Scott was also a candidate for the Whig presidential nomination in 1840, 44, and 48. And he finally won the Whig presidential nomination at the 1852 Whig National Convention. The outbreak of the Civil War, Scott developed a strategy later known as the Anaconda Plan. They called for the capture of the Mississippi River and the blockade of southern ports. By cutting off the east, <clears throat> eastern ports, uh, this would restrict the South's ability to import materials and goods. Uh, Scott was too old for the battlefield command. Uh, Lincoln selected General Irving McDowell as an officer whom Scott saw as unimaginable and inexperienced. And that just sums up the Civil War's early years, by the way. <laughs> to lead the main Union Army in the Eastern Theater of the war. Though Scott counseled that the Army needed more time to train, Lincoln ordered an offensive against the Confederate capital of Richmond. States, you know, the capital of the Confederacy. Scott hoped to force the surrender of Confederate forces with minimal loss of life on both sides. Following the defeat at Bull Run, or Battle of Manassas, Lincoln turned to a younger George McClellan, cutting Scott out of the equation. 
Knowing full well that his time was coming to an end, Scott offered his retirement in October of 1861, where he would live out the retirement at West Point and die on May 29th, 1866. <clears throat> so, like we've been doing for the last few weeks, we have our criteria to the generals in question. Uh, as far as integrity, I got Scott carried himself with dignity. He was also known to be a tactician and strategist. Robert E. Lee said of Scott, quote, the great cause of our success in Mexico was due to our leadership. Wisdom. Scott's invasion of Mexico was the most advanced planning and coordinated military operation in the history up to that point. The invasion consisted of 12,000 men were to land and then siege the city of Veracruz. The Duke of Wellington, who we'll be learning about him in a few weeks, by the way, <laughs> would say of Scott, quote, the greatest living general alive today. Unquote. Higher remarks from the man who feeded who defeated Napoleon. <laughs> and you'll hear about my opinion on that later. <laughs> Can't wait. George said, oh, yeah, you're going to hear a whole bunch of things. <laughs> <clears throat> um, compassion. Now, this was interesting. You might like this, Austin. I think we should really look into this um, as a series maybe coming up you know, later in the summer because it's local. Yeah. Um, compassion. Interesting to note regarding Scott, when cholera broke out amongst his soldiers while they were aboard a ship during the Black Hawk War campaign, on the way to Illinois, of course, the ship's surgeon was incapacitated by the disease himself. Scott received a treatment tutorial from the surgeon and risked his own health by attending to the sick men himself. Oh, wow. So he taught himself how to be a doctor to help his men. Hey, that's awesome. <laughs> I know. I mean, we're Scott for Illinois. <laughs> Our governor leaves. <laughs> this man's helping people. We need leadership. <laughs> oh, yeah. Where's the Scots in this world? Okay. Finally, courage. During the Battle of Chippewa, he wanted to move his men into position to the British to get in their rear. So he's kind of doing a flank maneuver. Offering himself between crossfire from both sides, he spurred his horse, galloped directly between the both opposing sides. Once his men saw it was him, they started to cheer, and the cheer rolled right down the entire line. He then placed himself in harm's way to get you know his men in a position to do his flank maneuver. He reported to his uh, captain at the end of the line to move a little more to the left. <laughs> So he actually rode a horse right between the two lines Jeez. to get to the other side to tell him the pivot. <laughs> yeah. That's leadership. Didn't care. <clears throat> I know. And so that's what I got on General Scott. And um, real interesting uh, side note, you know, of why most people don't really remember him too much. He didn't fight in major wars, you know. He was too old for the Civil War. He wasn't born during the Revolution. But he took, he was involved in these, all these small conflicts for, you know, decades. You know, uh, Mexico being like his most, you know, claim to fame. Yeah. But he gets bunched between these two major points in American history. And then, you know, he just gets, what, 
let's say that you know the generals in the Civil War just kind of outsize him. Huh. But you know he's definitely you know people want to learn about him. Please do. I, I think he's a character in American history that has really been pushed to the back because of things outside his control. Meaning, like you know, we've been in, involved in other wars that have brought popularity to different people. Yeah, but he he was in the military for a long time, and he had no professional training because there wasn't really a West Point training per se up to that point. So, but he made things go, and, and that's what I want to say that I, that I like about your your list and your ranking and whatnot is that you. It, 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 it appears to me, at least, you know, being a younger type of guy in, engaging in this type of stuff is that, you know, most of the people that you talk about aren't aren't like the mainstream. Like, you know, I did George Washington, Stonewall Jackson. Like you, you learn about those guys in school. But the guys you're talking about, you know, like you said, like little battles, stuff like that. It's, it's unless you're a big history buff, not, not a lot of people are familiar with it. So that's a good learning point for a lot of people if they're not, you know, too familiar with some of the guys you're talking about. Right, and I think it's very important that, again, why has an individual like Scott been pushed to the back burner? I mean, compiling this list, I wasn't even considering him. I mean, I had literally went into my my program for him, and it was like I spent two days prepping for Grant, and his name came up, Scott's name came up. Because, like I said, they were in Mexico, and I started kind of going back, and I'm like, well, let me just check something here. Because his name came up in a, a war of 1812 in Mexico, and then it's like the more I dug in, it's like this guy just, you know, took charge. I mean, the United States military, uh, you know, early 1800s is nothing like it is today, and people need to understand this. We were starting from scratch. We didn't have a professional army, and Scott was one of the first to recognize that we needed one if we were going to be able to continue to prosper as a nation, like to defend ourselves. And he he knew firsthand the militias weren't going to help. And he had a problem with them in the War of 1812. They didn't cross over into Canada to help him. They stayed in New York. So it was at that point he realized we need to build a real professional army and we didn't even have any doctrine of, you know, like these military drills, you know, like the Casey's manual or the Scott's manual that came out in 1835. There was nothing. They were taking French volumes, you know, just, you know, what the French had been using. And I'm sure Napoleonic tactics were in there. Yeah. But we didn't have anything. He was the first one. Right. But he was the first one to go and we need this. We need this. And he was the one who started pushing it. So his importance to, you know, early 1800s up until, you know, the Civil War, it was him. He was doing everything. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's kind of what I want to, like, kind of shine light on with your guy is that, you know, he, he like, out of everything that you kind of mentioned, I think the one thing that sticks out the most that isn't really something that, you know, a lot of people might realize, but, you know, he took the initiative. He he was the one to step forward mm-hmm. and say, hey, we need to do this. We need to get this done. And that's like, you know, out, out of everything, out of the four pieces of, cri- you know, what we what, what the criteria is, I, I think that's that's one of the most outstanding features, you know. And, and like you said, you know, he was in like the smaller battles. But, you know, to me, I feel like um, 
like realistically, like history gets like the light shined on the big battles, right? But deep down, I feel like like there's a there's a debatable feature that kind of says that um, like the smaller battles, you know, uh, you know, have the ability to turn the tide of the war. Mm-hmm. So, so, so it's very it's, true. it's debatable that you know, even though he wasn't in the big battles, you know, the, the small battles are you know, if if not just as important, depending on you know what the circumstances are, what the mission is, or whatever, you know, it, it could be just as important as you know a big battle like that. So. I don't think that, you know, him being in smaller battles or anything discredits his ability to be a good general in no. any way. No, it was it's so much more of what he did, you know, when he wasn't in battle. But I mean he really did show himself in battle, but it's all the things he was doing as a professional soldier between these conflicts. I mean, he ran for president how many times? Four. So it's like he was I think the Civil War is what overshadowed him in the end. Yeah, and that's a, you know because there's a big in between. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, he was definitely trying to make a movement and whatnot. And I feel like if history kind of shined more light on that, it, it would have meant something more. But I'm glad that you cover people like this. You know, like I said, you know, a lot of people might not be familiar with these characters that you choose. Uh, one tidbit about him too is I didn't realize this too. Like I knew by the time the Civil War came around, I mean, he was. He was a big guy, okay? But he was, when I mean he was a big guy, at this point, he was a big guy. But he was 6'5". Oh, wow. He was 6'5", and he was, I think he was like 220 or 230. I mean, he was like a freaking linebacker. <laughs> I mean, you imagine seeing a man like that in 1815, who looks like Brian Urlacher or Ray Lewis or something, just, you know, just towering over you. Because I mean, most average men at that time were probably what? Five, like, eight. Uh, yeah. That was like, oh, exactly. This dude was six, five. That's crazy. <laughs> Imposing figure. Well, um, curious where you're going to go. Okay. Well, this is, this is Shout out to left field. I don't have a quirk like I normally do because I have something at the end, so I'm not trying to waste too much time here. Okay. Um, You're good. Well, let's uh, we'll we'll just start this off with good old corncob pipe uh, Douglas MacArthur. Oh, okay. I was waiting for one of these guys to roll up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> I guess we'll just dive right into this character. So, Douglas MacArthur uh, was around from 1880 to 1964. He's an American general who commanded the Southwest Pacific in World War II from 1939 to 1945. He oversaw the successful Allied occupation of post-war Japan and led United Nations forces in the Korean War from 1950 to 1953. A like larger-than-life kind of controversial figure, uh, which he was, uh, MacArthur was talented, outspoken, and in the eyes of many, egotistical. He graduated from the U.S. Military Academy at West Point in 1903 and helped lead uh, the 42nd Division in France during World War I from 1914 to 1918. He went on to serve as superintendent of West Point, chief of staff to the Army, and field marshal of the Philippines, where he helped organize a military. During World War II, he famously uh, returned to liberate the Philippines in 1944, after it had fallen to the Japanese. MacArthur led United Nations forces during the start of the Korean War, but later clashed with President Harry Truman over war policy and was removed from command. 
Um, so I guess let's just dive into his earlier years. So Douglas MacArthur was born on January 26th of 1880. Hey, we share a birthday. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> at the Little Rock Barracks in Arkansas. MacArthur's early childhood was spent on Western Frontier Outposts, where his Army officer father, Arthur MacArthur, um, uh, was stationed. The younger MacArthur later said of the experience, It was here I learned to ride and shoot, even before I could read or write. Indeed, almost before I could walk or talk. And a quick little tidbit, a little did you know, is uh, one of General MacArthur's trademarks was his corncob pipe, like I said in the beginning. Uh, the Missouri mm-hmm. Meerschaum Company in business in Washington, Missouri, uh, uh, Washington and Missouri since 19, or 1869, made MacArthur's pipes to his specifications. The company continues to produce a corncob pipe in his honor. Might have to pick one of those up. Yeah. In uh, 1903, MacArthur graduated at the top of his class from the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. As a junior officer in the years leading up to World War I, he was stationed in the Philippines and around the United States. Served as a, an aide to his father in the Far East and participated in the American occupation of Veracruz, Mexico in 1914. After the United States entered World War I okay. in 1917, MacArthur helped lead the 42nd Rainbow Division in France and was promoted to Brigadier General. So between battles from like 1919 to 1922, MacArthur served as superintendent at West Point and instituted a variety of reforms in, uh, intended to modernize the school. In 1922, he uh, wed socialite uh, uh, Louise Cromwell Brooks. Uh, the two divorced in 1929, and in 1937, MacArthur married Jean Faircloth. Uh, she actually lived till 2000, uh, with whom he had one child, MacArthur, uh, Arthur MacArthur, the following year. In 1930, President Herbert Hoover named MacArthur Chief of Staff of the Army with the rank of general in his role, in this role. MacArthur sent army troops to remove the so-called bonus army of unemployed World War I veterans from Washington, D.C. in 1932. The incident was a public relations disaster for MacArthur and the military. Oh, yeah. Hold on. You know, who, you know who was there with him? Yo, go ahead. Who? Patton, by Patton. the way. Patton was there. Yeah, he was ordered by MacArthur. He was, yeah, he was there too to do that. Just a tidbit to help. That's, that's that's an interesting fact that that'll 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 help later yep. on. <laughs> so, <laughs> in 1935, after finishing his term as chief of staff, MacArthur was tasked with creating an armed force for the Philippines, which became a Commonwealth of the United States that year and gained independence in 1946. In 1937, upon learning, he was scheduled to return for duty in the United States. MacArthur resigned from the military, stating that his mission wasn't finished. He renamed. He remained in the Philippines, where he served as a civilian advisor to President Manuel uh, Quezon, uh, who had appointed him Field Marshal of the Philippines. So now I want to dig into his World War II kind of career. So 1941, with expansionist Japan posing an increasing threat, Douglas MacArthur was recalled to active duty and named commander of U.S. Army forces in the Far East. On December 8th of 1941, his air force was destroyed in a surprise attack by the Japanese, who soon invaded the Philippines. MacArthur's forces retreated to the uh, Bataan Peninsula, where they struggled to survive. In March of 1942, on orders from President Franklin Roosevelt, MacArthur, his family, and members of his staff fled um, fled uh, Corregidor Island in PT boats and escaped mm-hmm. to Australia. Shortly afterward... MacArthur promised, I shall return. I'll be back, he said. Uh, U.S. Philippine forces fell to Japan in May of 1942. 
So, in April of 1942, MacArthur was appointed Supreme Commander of Allied Forces in the Southwest Pacific and awarded the Medal of Honor for his defense of the Philippines. He spent the next two and a half years commanding an island-hopping campaign in the Pacific before famously returning to liberate the Philippines in October of 1944. Waiting ashore at uh, late, uh, he announced, I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil. In December 1944, he was promoted to the rank of General of the Army and soon given command of all Army forces in the Pacific. On September 2nd of 1945, MacArthur officially accepted Japan's surrender aboard the USS Missouri in Tokyo Bay. From 1945 to 1951, as Allied commander of the Japanese occupation, MacArthur oversaw the successful demobilization of Japan's military forces as well as the restoration of the economy, the drafting of the new constitution, and numerous other reforms. So from there, let's dive into the Korean War. In June of 1950, communist forces from North Korea invaded the Western um, Aligned Republic of South Korea, launching the Korean War. Douglas MacArthur was put in charge of the American-led coalition of United Nations troops. That fall, his troops repelled the North Koreans and eventually drove them back towards the Chinese border. MacArthur met with President Truman, who worried that the communist government of the People's Republic of China might view the invasion as a hostile act and intervene in the conflict. The general assured him that the chances of a Chinese inter intervention was slim. Then, in November and December of 1950, a massive force of Chinese troops crossed into North Korea and flung themselves against the American lines, driving the U.S. troops back into South Korea. MacArthur asked for permission to bomb communist China and use nationalist Chinese forces from Taiwan against the People's Republic of China. Truman flatly refused these requests, and public dispute broke out between the two men. On uh, April 11th of 1951, Truman removed MacArthur and his, uh, from his command for insubordination. In an address to Americans that day, the president, the president stated, I believe that we must try to limit the war to Korea for these vital reasons, to make sure that the precious lives of our fighting men are not wasted to see that the security of our country and the free world is not needlessly jeopardized, and to prevent a third world war. M M MacArthur had been fired, he said, so that there were no doubt or confusion as to real purpose and aim of our policy. Um, MacArthur's dismissal set off a brief uproar amongst the American Republic, but Truman remained committed to keeping the conflict in Korea a quote-unquote limited war. Eventually, the American people began to understand that MacArthur's policies and recommendations might have led to a mass massively expanded war in Asia. And from here, kind of wrapping it up to a little conclusion, we'll just talk about his later years. So in April of 1951, Douglas MacArthur returns to the United States, where he was welcomed as a hero and honored with parades in various cities. On April 19th, he gave a dramatic televised address before a joint session of Congress in which he criticized Truman's Korean policy. The general ended with a quote, from an old army song, old soldiers never die, they just fade away. MacArthur and his wife took up residence in a suite at New York City's Waldorf Astoria Hotel in 1952. There were calls for MacArthur to run for president as a Republican. However, the party ultimately chose Dwight Eisenhower, who went on to win the general election. That same year, MacArthur became chairman of Remington Rand, a marker of electrical equipment and business machines. MacArthur... Uh, died at age 84 on April 5th of 1964 at Walter Reed Army Hospital in Washington, D.C. And uh, he was buried at the MacArthur Memorial in Norfolk, uh, Virginia. 
and that kind of ex- ends my uh, spiel on the great MacArthur. So what did you pick him that position for? Well, I was going to pick him as number five, and then my number five, you know, shined a little bit brighter. Like, like you said, you know, when, when you're trying to place these guys, um, sometimes you just see somebody who just can replace. But, you know, the thing is, you know, you might, you might think that somebody can replace them. But, you know, even with my previous choices, I, I don't necessarily like to replace my placements. I just like to readjust the placement of the specific individual, you know. So my number five is definitely more, I would say, slightly more admirable and, you know, with accomplishments and whatnot depending on how you look at it. So, I mean, he, he could have, you know, deb- you know, it's debatable that he could have been a number five spot, you know, the top, but I mean, I don't know. The top two are, you know, were really hard for me. Nah, it's, it's understandable. I mean, I got to a point where, you know, he was on my list, um, a few others, and I'm still, to be honest, sitting here right now, I can't even tell you what I'm going to walk into next week. I still am trying to do the final cut. It's up in the air. It is. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of worthy individuals. But I, I, I still think we should get Thor. We have to. We need here. to get a sound bit or something. This this says worthy or something. <laughs> <laughs> Not worthy. 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 <laughs> yes, that would be great. Um, well, um, I, you know, your your roster is looking pretty good right now. I'm just. Uh, Curious where it's going to happen when we do the show. Oh, next I'm week. excited! I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, you know, weeks doing this, and now it's going to be uh, kind of interesting how we get to the end here. Um, and then we'll post the the whole you know roster that we came up with and see what uh, people think about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, and it's almost saddening, you know. It's like when you're when you have your favorite TV show and you find out they're not making another season. It's like what. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, we're we're, we're still going to come out with new new things to talk about. Um, all kinds of things to talk oh, about. Oh God, right? yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, you know, we got baseball coming back. If I do something, or football's coming back, and there's so much historical stuff that's, uh, you know, days and weeks. I like to start, you know, maybe get it. Ex- explore some older stuff too um i know we got a couple of guests that we're going to have on in the future uh we're just trying to get everything settled on uh getting them on so uh i know we got some viking stuff coming up <laughs> civil war stuff coming up we got all kinds of stuff coming up so it's going to be interesting to school <laughs> oh i know there'll, there'll be enough of that believe me i know, I know the gentleman who will be on so there will be Odin will be here <laughs> Oh, you will be. It will be amongst us. Um, I know you said you had something that you wanted to close the show with a little different than normal. Um, I'm gonna have. I'm gonna give you the floor, and you can do the uh, the the go home. Yeah, yeah. So let's do it. So this is just kind of a little um, contribution for Memorial Day. You know, that's coming up, and I just feel like you know we should spread some light on that. It's it's still. Oh, uh, you know, a national holiday and whatnot. So I just kind of put some stuff together, you know, found bits and pieces of different things to kind of put together. But this, this is kind of more just less, 
yeah, we'll just count this as like an outro type of thing. I don't, I don't want to take up too much time because we're already hitting almost the 45 minute mark, but yeah, we'll, we'll get through this. Okay. Okay. So like I said, this is for Memorial day. So every crisis has new heroes during the nine 11 attacks. They were the first responders running into burning and crumbling buildings as others ran out. Now during the coronavirus pandemic, the most visible heroes are the healthcare professionals who are saving others and risking their own lives while doing so. These heroes have much in common with the people that we honor today, America's fallen veterans. They are men and women who have sacrificed their own lives so others could live. They are both the elite and ordinary. They are elite in the sense of character. Giving your life so others could live is the ultimate definition of selflessness. They are ordinary in the fact that they represent the diverse fabric of our country. They are rich and poor, black and white, male and female. They come from every ethnicity and background. In short, they look like any of us. As we celebrate the selflessness and untiring performances of the healthcare workers during the COVID-19 pandemic, it brings to mind the military medics, doctors, and nurses who sacrificed their lives while treating others on the battlefield. One such hero was a pharmacist, um, third class Jack Williams, which I did. I, I got some information from some notable mentions that I could kind of incorporate in this. Um, the Navy Reserve Corpsman was only 20 years old when he landed on Iwo Jima 75 years ago. On March 3rd, 1945, James Naughton, a Marine in Williams unit, was wounded by a grenade. While under intense enemy fire, Williams dragged uh, Naughton to a shallow depression and treated his wounds. Williams used his own body as a screen and was shot four times, yet he continued. After he treated Naughton, Williams dressed his own wounds. He then proceeded to treat another Marine, despite his own immense pain. While heading to the rear, he was hit by a sniper's bullet and killed. For his actions, Petty Officer Williams was awarded for the Medal of Honor. We also remember Army veterans like Lieutenant Sharon Lane. According to her biographer, Philip Bigler, Lieutenant Lane threw herself into her work as a nurse. While serving in Colorado, she requested a transfer to Vietnam. There, at least... You are busy 12 hours a day, six or seven days a week, she said in a 1968 letter to her parents. Her dedication was obvious, even as she treated enemy Viet Cong soldiers who would return the favor by kicking, cursing, and spitting at their American captors. In the early morning of June 8, 1969, Sharon's tour of duty ended. A Soviet-built rocket struck the hospital. Lieutenant Sharon A. Lane was killed in action at 25 years old. If she were still here, her skills as a nurse might still be benefiting us during this current crisis. But not all heroes working during the COVID-19 pandemic are in the healthcare industry. Grocers, first responders, delivery workers, and drive through restaurant employees are just as few of the many people that we rely on to provide vital services for society while risking their own safety and health. The military also has heroes in, in every occupational field. Truck drivers, cooks, and administrative clerks have all paid the ultimate price. At sea, on land, or in the air, military service requires great risk. Roy Knight Jr. was a pilot in the United Air Force. On May 19th of 1967, he was shot down while attacking a target on the Ho Chi Minh Trail in Laos. He was posthumously uh, promoted to colonel. Last year, a joint team from the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency discovered and later identified Colonel Knight's remains. When his remains arrived at Dallas's Love Field, a crowd had gathered to witness the dignified transfer of the flag-draped casket 
from the Southwest Airlines jet into the receptive arms of the military honor guard. One observer reported that the entire crowd fell silent. The Southwest flight was piloted by another Air Force veteran, Colonel Knight's son, Brian. Brian Brian Knight was only five years old when he said goodbye to his father as the elder Knight left for Vietnam. This is yet another legacy that these heroes leave behind, a legacy that includes their sons, daughters, grieving parents, grandparents, and friends. Their heroic acts are sometimes performed to protect those with whom they serve. Corporal Jason Dunham was a squad leader with the 3rd Battalion, 7th Seventh Marines in Iraq. On April 14th of 2004, his squad approached the Toyota Land Cruiser. After his squad discovered AK-47s in the vehicle, the enemy insurgent exited and engaged in hand-to-hand fighting with the unit. The driver dropped a grenade. To save his fellow Marines, Colonel Dunham made the ultimate sacrifice. He threw himself on the grenade and tried to use his helmet to shield the blast. Severely wounded by the grenade's fragments, Corporal Dunham was taken off life support eight days later. Corporal Dunham died so other Marines could live. He, too, was awarded the Medal of Honor for his gallantry. Approximately one million men and women of the United Military have lost their lives in defense of our nation since the founding of this great republic. Not all have died from enemy fire. Some have died from diseases that have too often festered around war zones. Oftentimes, death from disease and accidents outnumber casualties caused by enemy weapons. During the Spanish-American War, 60 soldiers of the all-black 24th Infantry Regiment volunteered to serve as nurses. 36 of them would later die of yellow fever or malaria. A generation later, the flu would kill nearly 16,000 U.S. soldiers in France during World War I. Another 30,000 American service members died in stateside camps. These men and women could have isolated safety or safely in their homes, but they knew they had an important job to do, a mission to accomplish. They were all on a mission to serve. Even when the enemy is an invisible virus or a microscopic germ, the sacrifices made are just as meaningful. The U.S. military have already lost service members to COVID-19. The Memorial Day, we, uh, th- this Memorial Day, as we continue to honor those who fell for us in battle, let's also pause to remember those who have also sacrificed their lives while serving others. May God bless them, and may God bless you for remembering them here today. That's it. Thank you. Well put. I couldn't say Thank it any better myself. And with that, Austin makes a good point. Let's all remember them. So at some point during your weekend, the festivities, barbecuing, and enjoying the weather, remember all the sacrifices and for all those who came before to give you that opportunity. Have a good weekend. Enjoy. Be safe.